We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, bringing you the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. I'm Dan Hilton from the Bars blog team here in New York City, and I'm joined across the pond by Frances Tomas, as usual, as seen on ESPN and BarcelBlog.com. You can follow our show with the show notes at tbpod.link backslash 28. That is tbpod.link backslash 28. Frances, what topics are we going to discuss today? Before we start, I want to thank... Patreons. We've got Patreons. Juanito Jones clearly is enjoying the show, so we want to thank him for that. Focus on Barca's 2-0 victory at Alaves. Then we're going to move on um, and we're going to finalize with looking at Dembele's arrival. And then we're going to talk about Gomez, Di Maria. The Barcelona podcast starts right here. And as always, the day after there has been a recent match, we start by discussing that match and breaking it down just a little bit. And we'll start with the two Nothing win that Barcelona had over the weekend, of course, as I mentioned, on Saturday at the Mendy Rosa. And in that game, the 2 nothing win, both goals scored by Messi. And as I was watching it, I had in my notes that Messi didn't have his best day. Yet, Messi still was really, really, really good. He missed a few easy passes, but then any negativity about Messi stops there. He had 10 shots, hit 88% of his passes, however and scored two goals in much different fashion, with the one being more of a solo effort, if you will, off a nice pass from Jordi Alba, and then, or we'll call the first one a, a team goal, while then the second one was Paco Atatera just putting it into his path and him finishing on a really nice volley. But some of the stats from this one that we'll break down here, I have more on the individuals, Frances, than I do on the teams this time. For Rakitic, I have that he hit 93% of his passes, 78 of 84 total, 84 being the most of any Barcelona player, and Iniesta hitting 94%, 61 of his 64, which is actually a pretty low number, all things considered, for a normal Andres Iniesta game, and that just showed you that Barcelona were playing a little bit differently than they normally were. But what did you think of the game? I thought that Valverde stuck to the 4-2-3-1, as we sort of expected him to do. And I thought that Barca were the better team. I think the three points were fully deserved. And um, having six out of six points at the start of La Liga is always positive. Now, it's clear that this current Barca team is still under construction. 
not having Luis Suarez obviously will affect the way that Valverde makes his team line up at the start of the games. And obviously Dembele now being signed, that's someone else that's obviously going to be a definite starter that needs to be thrown into the mix. And that could upset things again in terms of, of progress, upset in the positive aspect of, of the world, of course. Um, I thought that Messi was trying to do everything for everyone else. He started as a false nine, but the thing is, in a way, he's created a new position for himself. He's, he's a striker, but then again, he's a number 10. He plays really deep, um, sort of coming back into midfield and supporting everyone else. Um, I'm going to be blunt. I don't think that uh, midfield was as good as it should be. Uh, fair enough, we had a lot of possession and, you know, the stats would say that Barca control the game, but we need to make that possession count. Um, having the ball the whole time and actually having Alaves countering back a couple of times and, you know, arguably could have won the game as a result, um, is not very good. Possession needs to come. We need to know where we're going with it. And uh, I think that a little bit more of uh, forward thinking, a little bit more of dynamism, a little bit more of um, sort of trying to beat defenders one-on-one -on -one was definitely needed. And obviously that's why we signed Dembele and we're waiting for Luis Suarez's return. Um trying to put a positive spin on it. I thought Denis Suarez was fairly good coming in during the second half. Um, I was live tweeting the game, which um, hopefully people were following along at the Barcelona pod on Twitter or tbpod.link forward slash Twitter. Um, so while I was tweeting there, I did say that um, when Dennis came in, that was 10 minutes too late. I would have thought that giving Dennis half an hour would have, would have improved the game as he did in the last 20. Um, Gerard de Lufeo, yep, he tried hard. He was pretty sort of convincing in terms of defense he's definitely doing what the coach is asking him to do but um, I haven't really seen him trying to face defenders one-on-one -on -one as we really wanted him to be doing um, it's still early days so you know it's, it's time for growth but um, with Dembele signing it's pretty obvious that De Lofeu is not going to start many more games in, in, in the near future but I did think that Dennis was great um, I also thought that although he didn't score as such. Uh, Paco Alcácer was quite influential. He added a little bit of width, but given the fact that he's actually a striker, not a winger, he could drift towards the wings and naturally towards the center as well. He was effective uh, combining with Messi. Um, I thought the first goal was, you know, it was a bit instinctive the way that he headed the, bo the ball back to Messi. And then obviously Messi in front of goal is lethal. Um, Alcácer scored nine goals in 27 appearances last year, which actually is pretty good. So um, although he wasn't sort of living up to the expectations because they were fairly high given the, the, the amount of money we spent on his signing, I thought that that return was OK, was fairly OK. And uh, hopefully he can continue to deliver when he comes in. But I thought that that was quite a good positive. Yeah, you basically ran through my notes, Frances, on the rest of the things I had from the game. And you basically went one by one. Denise Suarez, I agreed, was really good. Took a special note of that. But instead of De La Feu struggling, I, I thought spatially De La Feu really helped Barcelona open up Alaves in the time they did. And I, I do disagree a little bit about the midfield that while I would have to agree with the point that Rakitic's pass were, were very horizontal and they, they didn't really move north to south too much, Iniesta's passing was what Barcelona has clearly been missing in the games this year that we haven't seen the illusionist and his passing in particular to Messi where on our Twitter we put a diagram 
And this is a really telling diagram where you see how close Iniesta was to Alba and how many pa- to how many passes and how thick the line is with the line being the number of passes, the thickness correlating to the number of passes, if you will. And you could see how thick the lines were from Sergi Roberto to Rakitic and from Alba to Iniesta. And then it was a thinner line to Messi and Iniesta in the middle. But basically every pass that Iniesta sent Messi was something that opened them up. And as I had mentioned, Messi even had 10 shots. Where I think Barcelona was struggling was a guy that you didn't even mention on the right wing in Alexi Vidal, where Roberto was actually the one deeper in defense, and Vidal was the one farther up the field, and I thought Vidal was almost non-existent in that game. And so for Vidal, while he might have a place as a backup right back eventually to Nelson Semedo, or coming on as the wing as a substitute, I think in 60 or however many minutes he had of time that Vidal was severely exposed with his lack of in, with his inability to take defenders on one-on-one as you had mentioned it, it was hard for Barcelona to do much on the right wing with Vidal lacking that ability and so Messi kind of had to go over to the right side create a strong side numbers advantage for Barcelona out of that and then they opened things up by going over to left and that worked to their advantage but it wouldn't have mattered if Vidal was there or not, just simply because Messi was the one doing all the um, defender pulling, if you will. Yeah, I do agree with you in terms of uh, Semedo being missing. Um, there was, I could find myself not screaming at the TV because I tend to not scream, but thinking very strongly in my own head <laughs> that um, Semedo should have been included in the starting eleven, And um, it was quite obvious from the start that a little bit of width was lacking, a little bit of a sort of purpose runs moving forward, that collaboration that Semedo was bringing on the first game uh, of the season against Betis at the Camp Nou. I thought that, you know, Valverde would have, in his rightful mind, continued with that, giving him more confidence, especially considering that he's a new signing. But um, I guess that Valverde just went for the rotation sort of sense and he decided to give his second, arguably his first, fullback a start but um, I would have thought that Semedo should have started that game and without a doubt after 60 minutes the coach should have seen him and, and included him in there but you know that's that's where we are at this moment in time I also want to move forward a bit in terms of Valverde after the game did say um, I didn't demand but he was very clear in saying that he would expect his squad to be far more competitive than this um, at the end of the transfer window so it is quite telling from a manager that has only been here for a month and a bit now to be able to say that to the board. And uh, if he is saying that, it's because he's obviously realized the amount of expectation. He's obviously realized and assessed the current squad and the fact that there was an obvious gap at the front left, which with the signing of Dembele, Barca has now covered. But um, I think it is good to hear that the manager is voicing up his opinion and he's not afraid to do so. So a bit of backbone there from Valverde, which I quite enjoyed. My last two notes from this game then, Frances, and we'll move on to all the transfer rumors that we've got going on in this last week of the transfer window. One, that Samuel Umtiti had a really tough game. Again, he's been really good for the last, basically the last three months of last season and then to start this one, but he probably had one of his poorer games. And because of Marc-Andre Ter Stegen and some help from the wingbacks, Umtiti was able to help the defense keep a clean sheet. I think it's very telling that in the Liga so far, I know they've only played Real Batiste and Deportivo Alaves, but it's a good sign that they've been able to keep a clean sheet in that regard. And then the final note, of course, we saw the debut of Paulinho in the 88th minute. He looked nervy. He only had four passes that he attempted. He hit two of them. 
And while he did look like he was nervous, I think that's fair for any new player coming to Barcelona. And I think we don't really need to waste time on Paulinho's debut because it wasn't enough time and there, there wasn't time for him to get into the game or find a tempo or anything like that. I think it was just uh, your first appearance, get the nerves out, and then hit the ground running in your next appearance. Yeah, I fully agree. I, I really want Paulinho to do well. You know, as I said in the previous podcast, available at tvpod.link slash 27, um, I really think that if the club has invested that amount of money on such a player, then we as fans need to show support and we need to try and our absolute best and hope that he does succeed. Now, obviously, Twitter was full of jokes at the time and uh, the fact that he came in from Iniesta um, was quite telling. But um, then, you know, jokes aside, a bit of banter, it not, never really hurts that much unless you take it seriously for no reason. But um, I really do... Th- really do hope that Paulinho begins to shine, begins to show his worth, and uh, hopefully we can all pro- be proven wrong because, you know, we've spoken in at enormous length of uh, what we think about it, but um, hopefully we can all be proven wrong and we've got a player that can start every game and it's very impactful, fingers crossed. Now shifting from one transfer that's come into the Camp no this summer in Paulinho to another, in Usmani Dembele, who was just presented at the Camp No, He was originally welcomed by French teammates Lucas Dinier and Samuel Umtiti. And seeing how quickly he adapted in Germany, it shouldn't be an issue thinking how quickly Dembele could adapt to La Liga and the Spanish game. Just looking at some of the things that he's going to bring to the club. Well, for last season at least, he had 10 assists to Pierre-Emerick Mbameyang. And if you're Luis Suarez or Lionel Messi, you have to be licking your chops there because while Dembele only had six goals, he may not seem like a big goal-scoring threat. He's always in the action. He's taking players one-on-one. He's cutting in from the left side into the middle. And as I had mentioned, there's a space to be filled with Jordi Alba, the guy coming down that left side, that if Dembele is cutting in spatially what Valverde wants to do with Barcelona, Dembele fits that perfectly. And I think that's an exciting thing to think about. And basically, he's doing what Gerard Delafay was asked to do yesterday, except Dembele has shown, even at a younger age, that he does that even better. And that's why, as you had mentioned, Dembele, after maybe a, an appearance or two, should fit very much like Neymar did, where he'll substitute, he'll get his feet wet, and then he'll basically get right into a starting lineup. And for Dembele, it's a starting lineup that we hope that Dembele's in for many, many years to come. I agree, and I really do hope that we hit jackpot with this sign-in. Obviously, the amount of money that we've paid for him, uh, which was confirmed just this afternoon, just before we started recording, it was 105 million euros for the transfer fee, and then another 20 million euros for variables in terms of team achievements, so whether Barca win the Champions League, which hopefully will happen, and uh, how many leagues he wins, etc. And then another 20 million euros in terms of individual achievements. So that normally is linked to the amount of goals he scores or the amount of assists he gives and uh, whether or not he gets the Ballon d'Or in the future that normally has a, a little of a bonus. So that's that's the price. So altogether is 145 million euros if all the variables are met. I really think that although the amount of money paid for this transfer is, I would say, obnoxious, <laughs> the, the current transfer window is crazy. You know, every single player around Europe has been has become more expensive as as if of magic this summer and not just that because of the board's inefficiency and lack of planning and preparation as we've spoken in our podcast before um, everyone knew that Barca's pockets were full 
And to be honest, uh, they had they they were welcoming with us with open arms and, and sort of looking at our wallet. Um, having said that, I'm putting all that aside, which we spoke about at length before. I think the main difference that Dembele can make to the team is adding the dribbling that we missed with Neymar's departure. This guy um, is not afraid. He's really fresh. He's really agile. He's athletic. He's very, very confident as well. He can beat players one-on-one. We did not see that in the game against Alaves this weekend. We very rarely saw that in the game against Betis. Obviously, we got Messi, but beyond that, we really haven't seen it. This is something that the, the team so desperately needed, and I'm delighted to have Dembele at the Camp Nou. Um, he is a difficult player to contain when he's on the ball, but he's also really skilled. He's very gifted. He's very sort of positionally aware, and he's difficult to defend off the ball as well. When he controls the ball, he can do it with both feet, and he can accelerate at a high speed from a from a pretty much a still position. He's always in constant movement, but when he's still, he can accelerate really quickly as well. His first touch normally is done towards the direction that he's going to run, meaning that it helps him sort of move into space and get away from defenders. Um, I think he's going to really benefit from having Lionel Messi alongside. Like, you know, why wouldn't you? He's the greatest player of all time. And I don't want any arguments. That's what it is. Um, he obviously, because he's playing alongside Messi, who is such a focal point and had sort of such a worldwide star, he's not going to have as much pressure coming from that respect. Obviously, he's the second largest transfer in the whole of football history. And all of that responsibility will fall in his shoulders, regardless of whether Messi is next to, next to him or not. So I would say he needs to try and relax, as hard as that sounds. He needs to concentrate on what he's good at. And he needs to learn alongside Suarez, Iniesta, Messi and the rest of the Barca stars. He's only 20 years old, so I really would hope and I would ask fans to be patient with him. We're not going to have a player that's going to become Neymar in two weeks. And to be honest, we don't want him to be like any other player. We want him to be his own. So fans need to be patient. They need to understand that this guy is not a proven goal scorer. He's someone who prefers to assist. Obviously, that is something he needs to work on. He needs to provide a goal scoring threat um, to free responsibility of Messi as Suarez. But at this moment in time, he did not score many goals last season. He, he did provide more assists than goals, which is quite telling. Um, he can lack consistency at times. His touch can be imprecise at times. So this is not the finished product, but it is a 20-year-old player who has a lot of potential. He can be a Ballon d'Or winner in the future, but that will not happen in the next week. That will not happen in the next month, even this season. Maybe in three, four years season is a different story, but we right now have a player that has plenty of potential and needs our support to develop. The good news for Dembele, a guy who's been without training and without actually even basically touching a ball in organized play with a team, as remember he had gone on strike with Dortmund. He's definitely out of form right now, but he now has a little less than two weeks with the international break coming at basically the perfect time for Usmani Dembele. He's going to have, again, a little bit less than two weeks to get acclimated with the camp. No, get acclimated with his teammates that didn't go on international break and to get comfortable so that he's ready for at least potentially a substitute appearance on the ninth Barcelona's next game against local rival Espanyol. And while it's a heated and passionate game due to having a city rival in Espanyol, it's not necessarily opponent with tons of talent in Espanyol in that they're a team that Barcelona on paper at least 
should absolutely beat. So that might be a good time to get Usmani Dembele in that game for a little bit of time after he's been training now for the next week and a half, two weeks at the Camp Nou. So moving over to other transfer rumors, we're going to pick up the pace a little bit here. Frances, a little more just of a quick give and take. We'll start, of course, with the big one in Philippe Coutinho from Liverpool. While the Catlin media had a little bit of fun this week saying that the deal was almost done, throwing out numbers like 145 million, 160 million, 120, it seemed to change every hour. It seems like the rest of the world, particularly in the UK, the Coutinho deal is all but dead. Liverpool have, as confirmed by every source, have denied Barcelona three different bids. So now it looks like Coutinho, and if you believe what's being reported in the UK, Coutinho will not only be staying at Liverpool, but will now have the arduous task of trying to heal the relationship between himself and the club. And there was a nice little piece by a former Liverpool striker, should we say, Robbie Fowler, who basically did the same thing. He handed in a transfer request. He wanted out and then... Liverpool said no, so he had to stay at the club. He had to rebuild the relationship. And Luis Suarez actually did the same thing before he had even come to Barcelona, where he wanted out. They said no. Then the next year, he has a fantastic year at Anfield. And so with all of that taken into mind, Frances, it looks like the Coutinho deal is done. And my question for you would be, is this the last time we're going to talk about him? I doubt that it will be the last time we ever talk about him because, one, if he signs for us, we talk about him every week. And two, if he doesn't sign for us, I don't think this board is going to give up on him. Um, he's quite telling. Like, I woke up this morning and I was checking my online sources and um, I heard a report that Coutinho still had actually been closed for $160 million. Then I went into it and they said that he is very keen to come. So it, it was just sort of clickbait sort of thing, uh, which annoyed me quite a bit, as it always does. But um, it really just depends what you're reading, you know. And as I said in the previous podcast, unless it's official in any club website, most definitely the fcbarcelona.com website, then don't believe anything. Um, I think what we can sort of take out of all of this is that the Barca board are definitely not going to give up on signing Coutinho anytime soon. Um, I would say that paying $160 million or $150 million for a player that, to be honest, is... It would improve our squad, but I don't think he would improve it 150 million times. Um, I don't think it's advisable right now. We've got players like Sergi Roberto that have begun to sort of grow quite a bit and significantly as well. Um, we've got Iniesta that can still do a good job. We've got Rakitic doing well. Um, I don't know what Andre Gomez is going to do, but we sort of hope that he's going to grow and improve on his previous performances. So... Bayern Coutinho would improve the squad, don't get me wrong, but I don't think that that amount of money is advisable at this moment in time. Uh, it's an arrival that will not fill the holes that we've got. And um, I would say that giving our current midfielder space to grow until, say, the winter transfer market or even next summer would be an advisable thing to do. I do realise that we need to win this season and every season and make sure of Messi's um, peak form and, and, you know, he's still at his prime. But honestly... I don't think $160 million for Coutinho is the answer right now. And you know I agree with you in terms of spending that kind of money. As I've talked about in previous weeks, if you want good players, then find them younger, find them cheaper, find them earlier. So Barcelona should be taking the time to look for first options on players around Spain, around Germany, around France. For Barcelona, you have to have the best of the best, so that's why they're going after Coutinho. But there's a ton of players in the world, so Barcelona should 
begin that transition a little earlier, and they should be using the rest of their time and remainder of their time to start on first options. So being a little quicker now here with some rapid fire, we have an update on Jean-Michel Serry, and this is really a heartbreaking story here, and that being Serry heartbroken, saying, I feel bad, I will not lie, I'm very touched. My dream of going to Barcelona has been broken, and this for me is terrible. For me, football is a joy. I didn't play for Nice this weekend because I did not have my headset on football. The negotiations were broken because the talks between the clubs went from bad to worse. And you can keep reading. It is just a heartbreaking tale from Sarri about the fact that the transfer to Barcelona looked all but done and then was shut down at the negotiation table by Barcelona seemingly at the last moment. If you are Sarri and your dream is to come to Barca, it's quite clear that it is, you must be heartbroken right now. So in a way, I totally sympathize for him. And... I would be very annoyed, like he obviously is. Um, rumor has it that actually it was Nice who put their price up. Uh, reportedly, there was a 40 million um, release clause that Sarri had all of last year. And by the time that the Barca board got there, that release clause had not only expired, but Nice actually wanted 10 more million to put their price up to 50. And this is going back to my previous point about Barca having a full wallet. Um, obviously, it depends where you get your information from, but that, I've read that from many reliable sources or semi-reliable sources. And um, I think that's what the story is. But long story cut short, Barca could have done with a player of series quality. They're obviously, diff- they're obviously different players, but they would both improve our current squad because of what we just discussed earlier. So I think that Sarri would have been a great choice. And at 50 million euros, the price, sorry, 40 million euros, the price seemed reasonable, but the board decided to to move away and they must have their reasons for it. And a player that Barcelona have, but seemingly don't want, Andre Gomez. It seems like a lot of Kules who didn't like his performances last year might get their wish. Juventus is in on him. They want him for 30. Barcelona want 50, reportedly. So Gomez, it just seems like it's at the negotiation table. So would you sell him for 30? I would say that if we paid 35 million for him last summer, then that's what we need to get back. I mean, making a loss on a player that young with that much potential, because let's not forget, he has not been tremendous for us, but the first year is always about adaptation and... I really do think, as we've spoken in our podcast before, that he he will get better this summer, um, given the fact that he's more established, he knows his teammates, he knows the mechanisms, um, and all of that pressure and all that criticism he got in the first year, hopefully he's learned either to live with it or he knows what to do in order to eliminate it in a way. So I would, um, I would keep him, to be honest. Um, and if they want to up their offer to 50 million, then for that amount of price, then fair enough, get that money and I will reinvest it on Sarri. But then again, I think that's common sense, which I don't know if there's much common sense going on around. The next one we have here is a fun one. It's another player currently at the club who is in farther negotiations to be leaving the club. And that is 21-year-old Brazilian center back Marlon Santos, who seems to be at this juncture on his way out to OGC Nice to play not only in Ligue 1, but also the Europa League. They're a competitive team in the upper part of the French League, and it could be a two-year loan with an option for Barca to bring him back after the first year. But the way Barcelona's done things, it could also be a sell with a pretty low buyback for Barcelona. Of course, they're not going to get Marlon go basically for free, but he just doesn't seem to be in Valverde's plans. While Nice is one of the better teams in France, 
The good news for Marlon is that he be- probably becomes the immediate third choice behind the Brazilian Dante and the French defender Maxine Le Marchand and jumps ahead of 22-year-old Gaudier Ulloris and 18-year-old Malang Sar, who also got playing time over the last two years as a teenager. So Marlon Santos looks like he does have a place to play if that deal to Nice is completed and goes through. But for Barcelona, instead of Marlon, and we'll combine him with the next guy here, seems like Thomas Vermillion will not be leaving the club this summer transfer window. And the international break, quite telling. And I'll just read it off for you that Vermillion is with Belgium. So he's one of the players that has left. And if he is going to lead the club in the summer transfer window, it'll be while he is out on international duty, along with the Spanish squad, Pique, Busquets, Iniesta, Alba, De La Feu, Messi, and Marcherano, of course, joined up with Argentina, Luis Suarez with Uruguay, Dinier and Umtidier in the French squad, Dembele, as we had talked about, is going to stay at the Camp Nou, Gomez and Semedo are with Portugal, Rakitic with Croatia, Ter Stegen is with Germany, Paulinho represents Brazil, and Jasper Silicin is with the Netherlands. But that said, with Vermillion, don't be surprised if he doesn't leave in January if the deal for the Colombian center back who plays in Brazil, Yuri Mina, is true that he's going to be brought in in January. Then Vermillion could see his way out of the club there, and I think that's what the Barcelona board might be looking at. I think this is a three-corner triangle right here. You've got Marlon, who is rumored to be about to finalize a loan deal to join Nice. Uh, which is the same club that Serie is from. So they must have been talking about both players at once. Um, this is a player that, in my eyes, should have been the fourth option for centre-back for, for us this season. I don't think he needs to be going anywhere. Um, you've got Piquet, Umtiti as starters. You've got Mascherano as a backup um, and rotating, particularly in La Liga, very often. But I would see if any of those players get injured, I don't really want to have Marlon coming in. I would rather have Marlon learning alongside the one that doesn't get injured, so either Piquet or MTT or Mascherano, whichever it is, um, I would have kept him. You know, I do understand that going away, going abroad particularly, can help people grow, and Marlon would learn from other players elsewhere um, and would be given sort of first in football, but I really do think he had a job to do here. For Marlon, he's great when, well, let me rephrase that, he's good when he's healthy, and he's got plenty of experience. He's has performed well um, for Arsenal when he was healthy. But man, he's never really healthy. You know, this guy is made out of glass. He just breaks when people sort of sneeze behind him. So it's not someone that we want to have in the club, to be honest. Uh, we're not a charity. We want to have players who can actually do the job. And Fermalen has very clearly proven over the last, I think it's four years now, that he cannot play consistently for over five, six games without breaking so you know as, as hard as it may sound for Malen doesn't really or shouldn't really have a, a place in our in our squad right now and uh, as for Yerimina I've heard and seen a lot of reports coming from Brazil but not just from Brazil but from people in Europe as well saying that he would be a fantastic player um, obviously plenty of growth to be done really tall central defender that Barca has a deal with um, I believe it as I said before any transfer, I will always just believe them when they're finalized. But if the idea is to loan Marlon out because they're bringing Jerry Mina in December, then that makes sort of a bit of sense. I would still sell for Marlon on to whoever wants him um, in order to make either some money or just to save his wage. 
And the final transfer news we have to talk about today, we'll be brief on this one as well. Patrick Kluivert, nine-year-old son Shane, has recently come over from PSG to Barca's Academy and has also signed a five-year contract with a Nike firm, making him their youngest athlete. He has a huge social media following, 144,000 followers on Instagram and 45,000 on YouTube, where he consistently updates you on his life. But for the nine-year-old Shane, he may be the son of a footballing legend. Of course, the Dutch striker playing for Ajax and Barcelona as well. I don't think, as we've talked about before, Frances, at the age of nine, we should talk about this kid for a while. I know he has a social media following, but as I said, I want to be brief with this story because I don't think there's much to it for at least another eight years. I totally agree with you. I think that the fact that he comes from PSG this summer, that's quite good. And we got him for free. That's pretty good, too. Um, Obviously, Kluivert is um, a legend. Um, He didn't win that many trophies with us, but um, he was a top goal scorer for pretty much every season that he was with us, um, excelling alongside Rivaldo in a team that wasn't that great beyond them, too. But um, he did fairly well. And obviously, Kluivert is a Barcelona fan. And as soon as he, because obviously Patrick was working for PSG last year, he they apparently remodeled their internal sort of organigramma. So the, the, the structure, the internal club structure, they wanted to sort of give him different duties. He didn't buy that. So he decided to leave, came back to Barcelona. Obviously, he's got a house in Barcelona uh, from the time that he lived here. And basically, he works now for being sports. Um, he's a commentator from Barcelona. So there will be no trouble for the kid to join us for free. Um, let's just see what he does in the future. But I think that's all we're going to say for a while, as you as you mentioned. That brings us right into our listener questions. We've got a good one here. We'll start with a question from Isoma Dan asking, Hey guys, thanks for an interesting show. A small question. I have always felt for Douglas since he clearly was part of some weird deal to take him to a club he wasn't good enough for. He is not a fault. In my opinion, it's the board. So when people call him, like you do, derogatory names, I'm slightly provoked. The question is relevant for Paulinho as well. That is, is it fair to hate on players who accept to go to play for the world's biggest club when they are not good enough? Or should the slurs and derogatory names go towards the board? I think, Frances, this one might be directed at you a little more than me. I think it probably is. Um, We are not hating on Douglas at all. He's just a player who is in our squad who is not very good. So we are not blaming him for being in the squad. It's just that he's not very good at all. Um, the fact that we call him Lord Douglas, listen, that's not me calling him Lord Douglas. Obviously, it is now calling him that because I'm the one sort of talking in this podcast. But it is nationwide. The whole of Catalonia calls him that. Uh, and different media calls him that. And I really do think that it is a nickname um, that has stuck. Uh, I know the players within the squad also um, call him names. We don't sort of do it in an offensive way. That's just the nickname he has. Um, for example, Dembélé is called Mosquito. And you've got Lucas Dinier and Umtiti on national media already, so social media even, um, calling him Mosquito, and no one's gotten annoyed about that. Puyol was Tiburón, which means the shark. Xavi was El Maestro. Um, you've got Migueli, who played for us in the 1980s um, and ni- the late 1970s as well. It was Tarzan, Tarzan Migueli, so Tarzan. Um, you got Chapi Ferret. you got Pulpo Busquets, which is the octopus Busquets. Um, Luis Suarez is widely known. He's called Fatty. He's Gordito Suarez. Uh, obviously, Pistolero as well, which is the um, the gunman. Then you've got Messi, who's La Pulga, which means the flea. You've got Iniesta, always 
called many different names, to be honest. He started with El Blanquito, which is the little white guy, and then he moved on to Illusionista and all the ones that we sort of um, are familiar with today. So basically, it's part of cultural folklore to give people nicknames. Like my nickname growing up, it was Kiko, which in Spanish means little roasted corn, which it's really weird, but that was my nickname. Um, I don't know why they said that. Maybe because I burn very easily in the sun. <laughs> but that's that's what it is, man. Like people have nicknames and, you know, we're not. We are fans. We are supporters. We want to be sort of transmitting to you what we hear in the streets and what we believe. Uh, we're not the ESPN. I've worked for ESPN for many years and believe you me, they are very official and I'm, at times I feel a little bit trapped with those uh, with those sort of restraints. This is a podcast we can in a way say what we want within reason and that's the way where we decide to move it on because that's the way that it is back home in Catalonia. So that's that's part of the culture, I'm afraid. I think the other thing that goes into that, maybe not so much Douglas who came for three million, but in the case of Paulinho, when you are a player that comes for such a large number even Andre Gomez, who came for $35 million last summer, if you have that kind of price on your talent and your talent doesn't deliver, it's a lot easier and you get criticized a lot quicker as well. And I think that's just a big part of it. So in the case of Douglas, yeah, he might be an easy target, but unfortunately for Douglas, he will forever be linked with the same summer that Barcelona spent $3 million on him instead of Marco Asensio. And so every time... Barcelona fans see Asensio excelling, they unfortunately are going to think of what Douglas hasn't done at Barcelona. A lot of that isn't Douglas's fault. It's just unfortunately a byproduct of the timeline and of fate and how that all kind of works together. Yeah, and also I think that the, the title sort of Lord Douglas, it comes from the fact that just sitting in his throne for the whole season, he was a treble winner. That's where the Lord comes because he was comfortably sitting on his throne that said within inverted commas, and he was a treble winner. So that's where Lord comes from. So we want to thank Isoma for the question. And we really appreciate those. Keep putting them on the website. And for the first time, Frances, I'm excited that we are now building up some questions. So if you didn't have yours answered on this show, of course, we had a lot in this show, but on a show that we have a little more time, there are a number of really good questions that we're going to get to. And as I said, Frances, I like having a bunch of questions being prepared for us and ready to go in our queue. We do also have a few reviews that we want to thank. One in particular we'll read for you from Colorado Barca on iTunes. Just discovered, I discovered this podcast in the past couple of weeks. I'm addicted already. Great technical analysis of the action on the pitch as well as the transfer rumors and new players' strengths, weaknesses, and how they could fit in the squad. I also love the objective yet passionate coverage of the -the off-the-field controversy with Bartomeu and the current board. I love Barca and now feel more informed about what's happening with the club behind the scenes. We appreciate that review from Colorado Barca. Give us five stars on iTunes and you could do the same on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. So as we had a packed show, Frances, you got anything else? I just want to say thank you to everyone that continues to um, tune in week in, week out. We publish on a Monday and Thursday. And uh, please head over to tvpod.link forward slash iTunes review to tell us what you thought about the show. Thank you for being there. Yep, that about says it all. And even if we don't get it to you on Monday or Thursday, you can always expect it by at least Tuesday or Friday. So as Frances said, that wraps up the tbpod.link backslash 28. We encourage listeners to visit 
tbpod.link backslash ask to ask us those questions. You get yours read on the show. We do it every single show twice a week. You can also see the show notes. And if you go to tbpod.link backslash support, you can help us and check out some of the deals that are including Nike, Amazon, etc., etc. So that wraps it up. Thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast, bringing you the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. And until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And Forza Barca. Forza. Forza.